Hebrews, please. Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. Now, when you get to chapter 11 of Hebrews, I want you to hold your finger there or put some kind of Bible marker there and flip over to Joshua chapter 6. All right, Hebrews chapter 11, then hold your place there and then go over to Joshua chapter uh, 6. Due to the nature of the text this morning, I think it is very important that we read together this Old Testament passage that we'll be looking at. So let's begin in Joshua uh, chapter uh, 6 and beginning at verse number 1. Joshua 6, 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet that all the people shall... Shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. Then Joshua the son of Nun called the priest and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed. And march around the city, and let him who is armed advance before the ark of the Lord. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpet, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark, while the priest continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout, then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp, so they did six days. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day, and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priest blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Go down to verse 20. So the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets. And it happened 
When the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Now let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11 and see our text verse this morning, and it's verse 30. All that we've just read summarized here for us. In verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Prior to our December Christmas series, we were plowing our way through this great chapter of faith here in Hebrews 11. It's here that we have examples of men and women who are heroes to us in terms of understanding faith and how it's lived out in our daily lives. We've looked at a number of these examples from Abel to Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses' parents, Amram and Jochebed, and of course Moses himself was the last one that we looked at. All of this is important to us. Romans 15 tells us whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that through patience and comfort of the Scriptures that we might have hope. We see a similar reference in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now all of these things happened to them as examples. They were written for our admonition. So when we look at Abel and Noah and Jacob and Moses, we are learning from their examples. We are discovering from their experiences what God would have us to know and what he would have us to do and learn in terms of faith. They are examples. And today's example is Joshua. Specifically, his and the children of Israel's obedient faith in the conquest of Jericho. It's important that we see that element of Joshua because that is the theme of Hebrews chapter 11. It's really the theme of the whole book of Hebrews. Faith, faith, faith. And here we see Joshua and his people's faith honored. Now, in case we haven't looked at him in a while, or maybe you're a, a new student of the Bible, let's, let's just begin by asking the question, who was Joshua? Let me help you understand who Joshua was. One, he was, he was born a slave. He was a slave in Egypt. He was there during day one of the Exodus and had seen the power of God demonstrated through this period of Israel's history. He knew the Lord, and he had learned to trust God through those experiences. We also understand that he was a highly trained and exceptional military man. We learn of that in Exodus chapter 17. As a young man, he grew to be an expert in military skills. He was also personally mentored by Moses himself. We learn of that in both Deuteronomy as well as Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1. When we are introduced to Joshua, this was a servant to Moses. He was there with him on a daily basis, being personally mentored and discipled, of course. We come to find out also as we study the book of Joshua 
that he was God's chosen and anointed successor to Moses. He is to lead the people into the land of promise. This is whom God has chosen. And in that process, God had a, had a message to Joshua as the new leader of Israel. It's a simple message. He tells him in Joshua chapter 1, as Moses stays behind and will not enter the land of promise, but Joshua will now take the helm and lead them into the land of promise. God says to Joshua, number one, I want you to be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Don't be fearful. Be, be strong and courageous because I will be with you, God says. Just as I was with Moses, Joshua, I will be with you. He is teaching him from day one of his new leadership venture that he needed to have faith in the presence of God, that God was with him every single moment, that God would be with him in his leadership, and that God would be with him as he directed the people into the land of promise. Be strong, Joshua. Be courageous, God says. I will be with you. The second thing that he tells him in the opening chapter of Joshua is to be fully devoted to my word. God says be fully devoted to my word. The the book of the law. He's not only teaching him faith in the presence of God, but he is teaching him faith in the word of God. Joshua, as long as you heed the word... As long as you meditate on the word day and night, as long as you obey it and follow the word, then Joshua, you will have good success. And so at the very beginning of Joshua's new leadership, this new venture, this new step of faith, he is learning faith in the presence of God. He is learning faith in the word of God. Of course, the entire book of Hebrews, including this showcase of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, is making clear to us what faith is and how it develops in our lives. Let me remind you what faith is in a very simple term. Faith is simply taking God at His Word. It is hearing the Word from God. It is receiving the Word as truth, and then it is acting upon what God has said. This is what the Christian life is. It is a life of obedient faith. It's taking God at His Word. Some of you are exploring this morning what the Christian life is all about. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? It simply means to take God at His Word, to understand that God has spoken to you, and what He has spoken is true, and that He wants you to act upon what He has said to you. Obedient faith. Joshua's life was a life of obedient faith. Faith. The Christian life is a life of obedient faith. It has been rightly observed that faith manifests itself in various ways. For example, faith trusts God. Faith trusts, that is, we come to God with nothing to offer Him but trust in His plan and purposes particularly as it relates to our salvation. 
There's nothing that you and I could ever do to add to salvation, to make us worthy of being saved. No, the only thing that we have to offer is trust in God. And so how does faith manifest itself? It manifests itself by trust. Trust. Faith also takes risk. Faith takes risk. That is, we step out in faith, believing God to do the impossible, believing God to meet a need that we cannot explain, believing God as we follow His Spirit in directions we can't quite figure out how to go. Faith trusts. Faith takes risk. Faith is also patient. Faith is patient. That is, sometimes God says, go and go now. Sometimes God says, wait. And so there are times in our lives an act of faith is that of waiting on God, resting in Him. Whether that be in the middle of our pain or our suffering or even a desire for God to come through in a particular situation. It is, it is confidence in God's choice of timing. It is confidence in God's method of deliverance. Faith manifests itself in many different ways. Faith trusts. Faith takes risk. Faith waits. Faith is patient. But above all, above all, And we can go through many different manifestations of faith. But above all, faith is obedient. Faith is obedient. And that's what we see here in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30. By faith, by obedient faith. Did did he trust? Yes. Is he taking a risk? Absolutely. All of those things. But by obedient faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. I want you to think about obedient faith this morning. Write down number one there in your notes. Let's first of all see the peculiar nature of obedient faith. The peculiar nature of obedient faith. Now what we read here in Hebrews is that they encircled the city for seven days. And when they did, the walls of Jericho fell down. Now, if you've never heard this story before, that's okay. If you never had, it's always a lot more enjoyable to tell it to people who've never heard it before. It's all right. Or whether this is your first time or your thousandth time hearing it, I want you to understand that perhaps this morning your assumption would be that as they encircled the city, the military, Joshua, Israel, they attacked the city, they bombarded the walls, they tore down the gates while they were encircling the city. Perhaps that's what it means when it says that the walls of Jericho fell as they encircled the city. That as they were walking around it, they were knocking it down. But that's not how it went down, no pun intended, by the way. Joshua chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. 
So what we see here at the very beginning is that Jericho is on, on lockdown. And these, these walls are not like a, a six-foot fence that you have around your backyard. These walls were massive structures. Many during this time were wide enough at the top to drive two chariots on them side by side. Kathleen and I have had the privilege to walk upon the top of the old city walls of Jerusalem, the ramparts as they call them, and their, their, their large spaces as they encircle the entire old city of Jerusalem. That's how Jericho would have been. Large, massive, wide roads on the top of these walls standing together all around the city. And the reason why they were such massive structures is because they were intended to protect the strongest enemy from ever attacking them. Virtually, walls like this were impenetrable. On top of that, we see here that Jericho is on lockdown. They're securely shut up. No one is coming in. No one is going out. Perhaps Word had been received, and we read about that in chapter 5 of Joshua. Word had been received, what God had done for Joshua in crossing the Jordan. And now they're a little fearful of these crazy people who carry a box around with them everywhere. And so they get on lockdown. They, they, they shut themselves up because of Israel approaching. But, but here's what the Lord says to Joshua, ch- chapter 6 of Joshua, verse 2. He says to him at the very beginning, See, Joshua, look, <coughs> behold, I have given Jericho into your hand. I have given its king into your hand, all the mighty men of valor. So what God does here at the very beginning is he guarantees victory. I've already done this. They're going to fall, but this is how you're going to go about doing it, Joshua. And he gives them a a peculiar strategy. He says, for six days, you're going to take all the men of war and you're going to march around the walls of Jericho and you're going to do it silently, not saying a word, not not a whisper. We're, We're just going to gather everybody together, we're going to walk around, and you're going to do this once a day for six days. And there's a particular order in which the people were to line up in this processional. There were the armed soldiers who were first, followed by seven priests who were to all be carrying a trumpet to blow at the appointed time, ram's horns or chauffeurs as we call them. Then in the, the middle was the Ark of the Covenant that was to be carried on the shoulder of the priest. Now it's a very important placement here that the Ark of the Covenant is to be put in the middle of this processional, but we'll come back to that in just a moment. So we have the, the, the armed soldiers followed by the seven priests who have the trumpets followed by the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Lord. Then the people were to come behind the Ark of the Covenant. Finally, finally we have what we call the rear guard. And the rear guard of soldiers brought up the rear because that's what rear guards do. They bring up the rear. And so that's the lineup. That's the strategy. That's the, that's the processional. And he says, you're going to do this for six days, once a day, For six days, not saying a single word. No bombardment of the walls, no no throwing of sores over, uh, nothing, nothing. We're just going to march around it one time for six days. And then on day seven, you're going to march around the city seven 
times. Not once, like you have done the previous six days, but you're going to do it seven times. Remaining silent again like you did the previous six days until Joshua gives the command. And when he gives the command, you will blow the trumpets and you will shout loudly. And I will give Jericho into your hands. Verse 5 of Joshua chapter 6 says, Then when you do this, when you follow this strategy, the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people will go up every man straight before him. Now let's be honest. This is quite peculiar in terms of warfare. Some would even say absurd. And it comes to me a little bit more crazy because Joshua is a military man. He knows that the way you take down a city is by bombarding the walls and smashing down the gates and releasing the soldiers and the military and the army in to take the city. You don't do it by walking around in circles carrying a box and making bad music. That's no strategy at all in terms of military might. Imagine what Jericho might have been thinking as they looked over the walls through the windows of their houses down that week and they watched these crazy Israelites. I imagine a few conversations might have went, you know, these these people are weird. Weird, look at them. They're not doing anything. They're not saying anything. They're just... They're just walking around the city. Look at them. They're carrying their trumpets. They're not even blowing those. And they're carrying that box. They don't go anywhere without that box. Crazy, weird. And no doubt, I'm sure there were moments in which the Israelites felt a little foolish, perhaps even embarrassed. Now, we don't have one record of them complaining, and I think that's important. But again, there had to be times in which they thought, marching around that city, you know what, is this, is this really going to work? I mean, they think it's crazy. I think it's crazy too. But listen to me very carefully this morning. Faith always looks foolish in the eyes of the world. Faith always looks foolish in the eyes of the world. Jericho is not the only people looking at God's people and saying, they're weird. They're peculiar. What a foolish thing to do. Genuine faith in the world in which you and I live will invoke the same type of response from those who do not know Jesus, from those who do not follow Him in faith. You Christian people are weird. Look at you. How foolish your behavior. How presumptuous your belief. How how incredulous your actions. Faith always looks foolish in the eyes of the world. Consider it. The world says if you have an enemy, then take care of that enemy. Deal with him. Let him have it. Bury him, if you will. But Jesus says, faith loves your enemies, blesses those who curse you. 
Faith does good to those who hate you. Faith prays for those who use you and persecute you. Is that not crazy? Is that not peculiar to this world? And then when we go out every day of our lives, faith says, here's how I want you to dress. I want you to every day of your life to gird your waist with a belt called truth. And then I want you to put on a breastplate called righteousness. And I want you to wear shoes that are peace, particularly the gospel of peace. And then I want you to pick up not your, not your anger, not, not your materialism. I, I want you to pick up a shield. It's called the shield of faith. And I want you to wear the helmet of salvation and, and take up a sword, which is the word of God. And as you go and leave your house dressed like this every day, don't forget to always pray. Always pray. Of course, it's foolish to hear someone say that faith in Christ means to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. First, not second, not third, not somewhere on the shelf of my Loves, but the love, the allegiance, the first place in my life. Look, faith always looks foolish in the eyes of the world. And when you are truly acting out and obedient to faith to God, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to think you're peculiar for doing so. Weird. Strange. Look, it may have been a peculiar strategy, but listen to me. It was the Lord's strategy. And the Lord guaranteed that it would work. Friend, obedient faith to God is going to look peculiar to the people around you. And it may even seem peculiar to yourself. But this is how God works. And this is how faith works. That as we hear his word, as peculiar as it may be, as weird as it may look to others around you, faith is taking whatever God has said to us and obediently following it. So we see the peculiar nature of faith. Number two, we see the presence of God in obedient faith. The presence of God in obedient faith. We mentioned earlier that in this processional, that the Ark of the Covenant was to be placed in the middle of the people and taken with them as they followed God's instructions. And of course, the Ark is exactly what Joshua highlighted when he gave the people the command. In Joshua chapter 6 and verse 6, it says, Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. It's the first thing he told them to do. With all the instructions God gave them, the first thing was take up the Ark of the Covenant. Then let the seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the Ark of the Lord. And then he said to the people, proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. In fact, 11 times, 11 times this small text mentions the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Lord. Now what is so important about the Ark? Again, if you're new to the story and you're understanding Bible history for the first time in your life, this is not the ark in terms of the big boat that Noah built. Same word in English language, two understandings. 
This is, this is more of a box that God commanded the children of Israel to carry with them that they, that they built in terms to be the centerpiece of their worship. It's, it's the centerpiece of who Israel was because it was more than just a box. It, it was the place God chose for his presence to dwell. You see, the strategy wasn't that if the people themselves encircled the city, that the walls would fall. That was not the strategy. The strategy was if the presence of God encircled the city walls, then the walls would fall. That's why it was important to take the ark of the Lord. It's why it was important to have it in the centerpiece of all that they do. Because every step of faith, every obedience to Christ must be pursued with the awareness that God is with me. And the only way that we can accomplish this is if God is with me. You see, if they would have left the ark behind, even while doing everything else God had told them to do, the victory would not have come. It was about having the presence of God in their faith. You see, Israel's faith was fueled by their awareness that God was with them, that God was leading them, and that he was the one who would give them the victory. Listen carefully to, this, to me this morning. Y- you who are children of God, God is with you. He is with you. Those who are obediently In faith, following Jesus, the presence of God is with you, just as it was with Israel. If we had the ability to see what is unseen this morning, then I'm certain it would fuel our faith to greater heights. Perhaps we'd see angels gathered with us this morning. Perhaps we'd see the presence of God in a tangible way this morning. If we could see what is unseen, no doubt it would propel us forward. But, but that's what faith is, isn't it? It is the confidence and conviction of things not seen. It's trusting that angels are with us. It's trusting that God is with us in his presence. All Jericho could see was a mass of people carrying a box. And that's all that many see today is a group of people as they drive by this property this morning, a group of people sitting in a building. That's all they see. Cars parked in a parking lot. But we know it's not just a building. We know it's not just a group of people. What we know is that God is here and that he is in us and that he is with us and that our focus on that ought to propel us forward in obedience to God however he leads us. Friend, God is with you because God is in you. And God is with us because God is in us. They went forward in obedient faith with focus on the presence of God. I had a disgruntled member a while back expressed that the reason why they were moving on from our church to another church was because, and this is how it was put, it was expressed that this ship called Laurel Baptist Church was going down. And they didn't want to go down with it, whatever that means. I remember after being a little taken back by the comment, I was sharing that with a few of our leaders in prayer over the particular family and One of our men, after expressing that 
to him said to me, he said, Pastor, how can the ship go down if God is in it? How can the ship go down if God is in it? Now, we don't express that arrogantly this morning, but humbly aware that God has promised to be with us always, even unto the end of the age. Therefore, we obediently trust Him with His strategies. We trust Him with His plans. We trust Him with His instructions for our lives. Because however God speaks to us, and however God leads us, we know that He is with us. He is with us. And however God is leading you today, be aware that God is with you. God is with you. If we keep our focus on the presence of God, then we won't have any trouble obediently trusting Him. The presence of God in our faith. The peculiar nature of faith. Write down this last one and we'll close with this. The practical routines of obedient faith. The practical routines of obedient faith. Now think of this. Hebrews 11.30 says they encircled the city for seven days. Seven days. Seven days. They just did the same thing over and over again. Day one, they get up, they gather their stuff, they get in line, they march around the city without saying a word, they go back to camp, they go to sleep, they go to bed, all right? Day two, they get up. They gather their stuff. They get in line. They march around the city without saying a word. They go back to camp. They go to bed. They go to sleep. Day three, they get up. They gather their stuff. They get in line. They march around the city without saying a word. They go back to camp. They go to bed. They go to sleep. Day four, the same. Day five, the same. Day six, the same. Just the same old routine. Now, I imagine if the news media would have existed in this era, that they might have approached Joshua after the first few days of battle and said, General, tell us exactly what is it that you are doing down there in Jericho. You know, what, what's your big plan for victory? Now, if, if that would have happened, I imagine Joshua might have, would have responded like this. Well, you know, we're just going to get up every day and do what we know to do. Nothing special. No secret formula. We're just going to keep our daily routine in sync. We're going to get up, get in line, gather the people. We're going to walk around the city without saying a word. We're going to go back to camp. We're going to go to bed, go to sleep. We're going to do it again tomorrow. We're just going to trust God with the results. He'll he'll take care of it all. Can you imagine how a conversation like that would go down in our day? But listen to me. Jericho was one of the biggest victories in the history of Israel. And all the strategy consisted of was staying faithful to the daily routines of obedient faith. That's it. It is mentioned to us in the hall of faith. It's one of the most historical, historical victories in the entire history of Israel. And the only thing they did, the only thing they did was consistently stay faithful to the daily routines of obedient faith. Now listen to me, Christian. This is what the Christian life is. It is getting up every day of our lives and routinely doing, routinely doing, and I emphasize that again, routinely doing in obedient faith what we know we're supposed to do. No big plan. No secret formula. No behind-the-scenes strategy that you got to enter a certain level of Christianity in order to receive. 
time to time, people will ask me, what's your, what's your big plan for living for life? Your big, your big strategy, your big idea. Well, I, I don't have one. In fact, the older I get, the more I see the big plans of my youth fading. In full transparency, and I want to be honest with you, I just want to get out of my bed every day. I just want to get out of the bed every day. And I want to spend time with God in His Word and in prayer. And I want to love Jesus the way I'm supposed to love Him. I want to love my wife the way I'm supposed to love her and my children the way I'm supposed to love them. And I want to serve you the way that I'm supposed to serve you. I, I, that, that, that's my plan. That's my strategy. And I'm going to leave the rest up to God. Well, what, what, about, what about our church? What's the, what's the big idea? What's the big strategy? What's the big plan, you know, to do this and to do that? Well, we're just going to, we're going to come on Sunday and we're going to sing and we're going to give and we're going to open God's word and we're going to pray and we're going to fellowship and we're going to come back and do it on Wednesday and we're going to come back and do it next Sunday and we're going to do that week after week after week after week and we're just going to let God take care of the rest because that's what the Christian life is. It is getting up every day of our lives, not with some secret formula, not with some big idea, but just doing every day what we know we're supposed to do. Josh Howerton, a pastor in Texas, tweeted recently, listen carefully. He said, all the systematic theologies, biblical study classes, sermons, lectures, conferences, and university degrees later, what I learned in my youth group emerges as the vital thing. The joyous Christian life is nourished by the word, prayer, and spiritual relationships. And I say amen to that. All the Bible college, all this stuff, it can really be put to the side. But the thing that I wake up every day of my life knowing that I need more than anything else is just time in the word and prayer. Time in the Word and Prayer. Trevin Wax wrote in a recent article, he said, The way the Bible does its work on our hearts is often not through the lightning bolt, but through the gentle and quiet rhythms of daily submission. Brothers and sisters, it is in the daily routines of our obedient faith that God will do His greatest work. The daily routines. Austin talked about resolutions last week. I'm not against resolutions. I just don't make it a habit of doing them. If I think I need to do it on January 1st, it probably means I should have done it on December the 31st. Every day is a new day with the Lord. His mercies are new every morning. And my, my, my idea is to get up and just go into routine with what I know God wants me to do, reading my Bible. Reading my Bible. Are you reading your Bible? It's just the routines. You get up, you read your Bible. You get up tomorrow, you read your Bible. You get up the next day, you read your Bible. Whether you read five verses or five chapters, or you're reading your Bible. These are the basic routines of obedient faith. You eat breakfast. You eat lunch. You eat dinner. You snack. You have multiple cups of coffee. Sure. We could program it in our minds. Well, what, what did I eat two weeks ago on this day? You may not remember, but because you did eat... And because you did nourish yourself, look, you're doing just fine. In fact, you've already quit the resolution and we're not even two weeks into the year. The same is true with our spiritual routines. 
I don't know that I could tell you what I read in my Bible three days ago, four days ago, or much less yesterday. But I know those rhythms, being in the Bible, meditating on God's Word, praying as I ought to pray, attending church as I ought to attend, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, routine by routine. The Christian life is just walking around the walls doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Nothing fancy, nothing spectacular, no fireworks on day one, no fireworks on day three. You see, sometimes it comes down the road before the walls ever fall. And the only reason the walls fall is because I did day one through six what I was supposed to do. This is the Christian life. And Joshua never doubted and the people never complained. No adjustments to the plan were even discussed. They trusted God's plan. They rested in his presence and they obeyed him. And that's what God honored. So on the seventh day, they marched seven times. And when Joshua gave the signal, they blew the trumpets, shouted, and the walls came tumbling down. God gave Joshua and his people the victory at Jericho. God did it. Joshua chapter 6 verse 17 says, The Lord has given you the city. Joshua didn't give you the city. The trumpets didn't give you the city. The, The people's volume of the shout didn't give you the city. And we can spend even more time on that. And some people shout louder than other people do. It doesn't matter how loud you shout. It doesn't matter how good or eloquent you are on the trumpet. The thing is, are you following in obedient faith what God is asking you to do? Because if we all just follow in obedient faith what God is asking to do, then the Lord will give us the city. And that is exactly what he did. God did this. It was not because of their ingenuity. It was not because of their intellect. It was not because of their military might. They didn't outsmart Jericho. They weren't bigger than Jericho. They could take absolutely no credit for this victory at all. All God wanted from them was faith. Faith. And it was faith that God honored. I wonder this morning. Are you living by faith, obedient faith? You see, faith that obeys God is going to be peculiar to a lot of people. You're going to church again? What do you mean you've forgiven them? Are you kidding me? You would waste your life on that? How much do you give to the church again? Faith that obeys to God, faith that obeys God will seem peculiar to a lot of people. Faith obeys God by focusing on His presence to lead us. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do because I know that as long as you lead, you are with me. And then faith obeys God by routinely carrying out what we know we're supposed to do. We get up, we read our Bibles, we pray, we love our Lord, we love our family, we serve our church, we go to bed. And next day, we do the same thing. And the next day, we do the same thing. And we just keep walking around the walls, walking around the walls, walking around the walls. That's important. 
Because I remind you what 1 Corinthians 10 says. All of these things happened to them in the Old Testament as examples to us. They were written for our admonition. So we take these things. We apply them to our lives and we ask God to help us to have the same faith that Joshua had. The same faith of the people who obediently trusted God even in the most peculiar and routine ways. Let's stand together for prayer this morning.